Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I am Pastor Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege this morning to dive into God's Word with you. But as I was studying this scripture this week, I was thinking about my life, and I came to realize that without even knowing it, over the past 10 years, there's been something in my life that has drastically changed. And once I tell you what it is, I'm pretty certain you probably are in the same boat, right? There's something that you used to do that you don't do anymore simply because life is changing around us all the time. And see, what I've noticed about my life is that the way I consume the news is very different than the way I used to consume the news. You see, not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago, I consumed really the news in two primary ways. I would read the physical newspaper, right? If you guys don't remember what that is, it's a piece of paper, it has printing on there, and you read about the stories, right? I would read a physical newspaper, which means I would go to the mailbox, I would hope it would be there in time, take it out, and I could read all the articles. Or I'd wait till the middle of the night, about nine or 10, I guess that's not the middle of the night, but pretty late for me, about nine or 10, and I'd watch the evening news. And I'd sit there for 30 minutes or an hour, I'd watch SportsCenter to get the highlights of my team. And that's how I consume the news. But I've realized recently, I haven't watched SportsCenter, I haven't watched the evening news, and I haven't touched a physical newspaper in years at this point in time. Because everything that I need to know about what's going on in the world and things that I'm interested in are right on my phone. Now, I don't know what this looks like for you, but for me, it's kind of like this. I wake up in the morning and I open my phone and I look at the news and I'll look at all the headlines so I have kind of an idea of what's going on in the world. And then if there's something that's really intriguing to me, I'll, I'll click on it and I'll read that. So now I know about that specific thing. Now, as the day goes on, sometimes my phone will beep or my watch will beep and say, hey, you need to know about this specific thing. There's a big news story, an earthquake or something. And if I'm interested, I'll look at it and maybe I'll read the article. Then before I go to bed, I do the same thing. I'll check the sports scores. I'll check the news. And if there's a specific thing I want to know about, I'll I'll dive in a little bit deeper. But it's been long. It's been a long, long time since I've sat down and read a physical newspaper. It's been a long, long time since I've sat down and and watched the news because everything I need is right at the touch of a button on my phone. And the beautiful thing about that is I don't have to wade through all the other news that I don't honestly care about. And so I've worked very, very hard to stay in in that vein. So I have subscribed to specific things on my phone that I care about and that's what my phone tells me about. At least that's what it's supposed to do. You see, sometimes it goes rogue. Sometimes my phone decides that it wants me to know about things that honestly, I don't care about. Now, a little bit ago, it really hassled me over one thing that I do not care about at all, the royal wedding. Now, I don't know if you care about the royal wedding, but I do not care about the royal wedding. But my phone decided I should care about the royal wedding. 
And so I kept sending me these updates. This is the cake they picked. This is the food they're eating. These are the celebrities who are coming. This is what the wedding dress looks like. And I'm like, I, I don't care about this because I have a very simple philosophy when it comes to the royal wedding. If I was meant to know about the royal wedding, if God wanted me to know about the royal wedding or soccer for that, for that means, that we would have lost the war. But we didn't lose the war, did we? I'm not British, I'm American, which means I don't have to care about the royal wedding. That's one of the perks of being American. But as Americans, we have a different way of how we see the world. You see, we have a nation built on freedom and a nation built on a choice. And so when it comes to this idea of a king and queen, it's kind of a whole confusing thing to me. And I don't really get it. Because as an American, this is what we are, right? We are free, don't tell me what to do. This is built into our DNA as Americans because we have this internal value. But sometimes this internal value that we hold as Americans actually comes in conflict with the internal values that we hold as Christians. You see, both our Americanism and our Christianity holds on to this, this beauty of freedom, but we receive this freedom in two separate ways. You see, as Americans, we receive our freedom by choice, right? We get to do what we want to do when we want to do it. That's the American way. That's the freedom that we experience. But our freedom in Christ is actually the complete opposite. You see, we still experience freedom, but it's a freedom by submission, Submission to a perfect king. And this morning, as we look back into the book of Mark, we're going to learn about this king, and we're going to learn about this idea of submission. And this is what Mark writes. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. So we're, we're about to get into this amazing piece of history that we remember once a year, year after year after year after year. But before we get there, I think it's important that we just stop and remember the journey we have been on. You see, for the last five weeks during this Lenten season, we have been going over a sermon series called The Invitation, where we have been exploring this simple invitation from Jesus to his disciples and from Jesus to us to come follow him. And so week after week after week, we've been exploring this invitation and exploring the implications of this, of this invitation. But if you're wondering about the, just kind of the general premise of the whole thing, if you've been here, you probably have seen this weave its way through the entire conversation. But the invitation to come follow me was, was simply to enter into a relationship between a rabbi and a student. That's what Jesus was offering these disciples. It's what he offers us. And that, that relationship is unique because that invitation was not just an invitation to be around somebody or get to know somebody. It was an invitation to become exactly like somebody. You see, the role of the student was to become a, a carbon copy of this rabbi, of this teacher, Jesus. And in many ways, that was pretty nice and pretty easy because Jesus did amazing things and become like him would be pretty incredible. But every once in a while, he would do some stuff and he would say some stuff that would be a little bit more troublesome and difficult for his students. So today we're going to explore one of those times when Jesus did something that was a little bit odd and a little bit challenging. So here we enter back in with these disciples and they're making their way into Jerusalem with Jesus. Now, Jerusalem, to understand it, this is the big city. 
This is the city of David. This is where the temple is. And so to go to Jerusalem, there's this, this built-in excitement about going to Jerusalem. So these disciples, they are excited. They are ecstatic. They're a little bit anxious for going into Jerusalem, especially because what has just happened. You see, you see between last week's scripture reading and this week's scripture reading, a, a lot has transpired. You see, we, we experienced... If we read those, those sections in between, we would have experienced the transfiguration, which was this amazing moment when, when Jesus became God-like, right? He showed his, his God elements to these disciples by appearing almost like in his purely heavenly form. And then Moses showed up and then Elijah showed up, which were these heroes of the faith that had long since died and they returned. And it was this amazing moment where God showed himself, or sorry, as Jesus showed himself as God. And then once they came down from that moment, then Jesus taught, he did more miracles, and he predicted his death and resurrection again. And so this is what was in the minds of these disciples as they entered back into Jerusalem. And this is what we read next. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find there tied you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. So like I said, the goal of the rabbi-student relationship is to become like your rabbi. But there was another byproduct of that relationship, which was very, very tricky. You see, to have a rabbi meant that you had to do whatever the rabbi wanted you to do, no matter how odd that request might be. And this is a great example of a very strange and odd request. Because what does Jesus say to these disciples? He says, I need two of you guys. I need two of you, and you need to go into Jerusalem, and you need to find me a donkey. And not just any donkey. You need to find me a donkey that's never been ridden before. Now, I have no idea how you can look at a donkey and decide whether it's been ridden or not. But Jesus requested this, and Mark recorded it, so we know it happened. So he goes on, he says, I need you to find this donkey that's unridden, and then I need you to untie it and just bring it back to me. Now, this is an odd request, right? This is a challenging request. And I don't know about you, but if I was a disciple in this moment, I probably would have raised my hand and said something like this. Hey, Jesus, you know what? There's, there's 10 other individuals here. They would love to go. I, I think that you just need to pick somebody else. Hey, hey, Jesus, I'm not really good with animals, especially donkeys. I don't, I don't think I'm the one that you want. Hey, Jesus, I, I'm not good at picking out donkeys, right? I don't have that expertise. Pick somebody else. Jesus, there's no way I can tell if this donkey has been ridden or not. Maybe somebody else can help you out. Hey, hey, Jesus, I'm not very comfortable with stealing. You know, maybe, maybe you should pick somebody else. I would have so many reservations about this. Right, I always have so many objections about this. And if I was just honest, I'd probably say something like this. Jesus, not only am I uncomfortable with this, but I just don't want to do this. And that's the point. You see, the point of what Jesus is doing here is submission. You see, just like this unridden donkey, very much we are wild and unruly. We don't listen to what our master wants us to do, and sometimes we don't even understand what our master wants us to do. But yet, Jesus still uses for his holy purpose. 
and invites us into this, this broader story, this grander story. But even when we know this, even when we know this about Jesus, we still have a lot of reservations. We still have a lot of questions. But Jesus, he's so patient with us. And he was so patient with the disciples. Look at how he responds. He says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. You see, Jesus can, can sense all their hesitation. He knows the awkwardness of this. That's the point. And so he gives them something to do. Right? He gives them a path forward. He says, go there and just say that the Lord needs it and he'll bring it back right away. Now, of course, even built into this, there's a lot of questions. A lot of questions like, Jesus, why would I say that? Isn't there a better excuse? Isn't there a, a better way? Well, let's see what happens. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? So off these two disciples go. They're trying to listen to their rabbi and listen to their Lord. But can you just imagine this picture? Right? Put yourself in these guys' shoes. They're going to Jerusalem with this specific intent to borrow slash steal this donkey. And they're walking in together, looking for the right one. And finally, they see a donkey. And they're probably talking to each other. Do you think that one's unridden? I don't know. How would we ever know that? I don't know. Let's grab it. And they make their way over there. And they're tiptoeing over, trying not to get caught, not trying to look. They're trying to look inconspicuous, right? Just navigate over there without anyone noticing, trying to have this air of confidence like they're supposed to be there, like they are the owners of the donkey. And so they start slowly untying it. And guess what happens? They get caught. This is so much fun. Right? They get caught. People notice them. The bystanders say, what are you doing? You can't just untie someone's donkey. In fact, in a different gospel, we see that it's written that it wasn't just the bystanders who noticed, but the very owners of the donkey take notice that someone is taking their donkey. Now let's modernize this a little bit. Imagine you've just bought a brand new car. You haven't even driven it yet. You get it dropped off in your driveway. You were so proud of this brand new car and you will be the first person to drive this car ever. And all of a sudden, you're in your house and Alexa goes off and says, someone's at the front doorbell, right? And you watch these two men make their way up your driveway and all of a sudden, they're sitting in the driver's seat and they're sitting in the passenger seat and you go outside. How will you respond what will they say? This is where these two disciples are at. Well, this is how they respond. They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. So these disciples, probably against their better judgment, respond to these owners of the donkey and say, the Lord needs it, and we're going to bring it right back. Exactly what Jesus told them to say. Now, once again, this is not how I would have navigated this, this process and this problem. If I would have got caught stealing the donkey or borrowing the donkey, I probably would have made up a better lie. Maybe I would have said something like this. 
you know what, I, I've been missing my donkey. This one looked like my donkey. It's right here. I went to untie it. Once I realized it wasn't my donkey, I'm really embarrassed. Let me just tie it back up. And I would have walked away. I would have walked away from what God had in store for me and I would have missed out on this opportunity. But these disciples, they listen. I don't think it fully made sense to them, but they listened and they submitted and they said, the Lord needs it. And the most amazing thing happens. These people give them the donkey, which raises so many questions to me. Do they know of Jesus already? Do they know of the disciples already? Did they hear the word Lord and got nervous? Like maybe this person has a lot of authority and if we don't give him the donkey, he's gonna make trouble for us. Maybe they know the Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah 9, 9, that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and they thought, you know what? It's worth a chance. What if this is that moment? We wanna be a part of that moment. Or maybe they just saw this, this air of confidence about these disciples. They thought, well, if they're that confident, they must want to do something very, very special. But they said yes. And here's what happens. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now, between the opening video, Danny's song, and the palm branches in your chairs, you know what today is. Right, you know this is part of the season of the rhythms of Lent. It's Palm Sunday. It's a celebration where we celebrate Christ coming as the conquering king riding on a donkey. But have you ever wondered why a donkey? It doesn't seem very king-like to me. It doesn't seem very regal to me. Right, when I visualize a king, I visualize somebody riding on this huge muscular horse perfectly bred to be the best horse in the nation. That's what I see. And so to see Jesus riding on a donkey is confusing to me. In some ways, it would be confusing to these people in that day too, at least partially. You see, in that day, a king would ride that type of horse, the big, stronger, best horse in the land horse, when he would go out to battle. But when he would return, once he had won the battle, once he was the conquering king, once he was the king of peace, well then, well then he would ride a donkey. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem as the conquering king, as the king of peace, but how would the people receive him? Well, this is how they received him. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. So how did people respond to the self-proclaimed conquering king, this king of peace? Well, they laid their cloaks down. They laid the branches down. They laid out the red carpet. They, they gave up from what they owned and they took the time to create this path for Jesus. An amazing response to the king. But there was more. They also shouted. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They shouted and they shouted and they shouted and they shouted. There was so much excitement. In fact, Jesus in a different gospel said that if they wouldn't have shouted, there was so much energy that the very rocks themselves would cry out. This is the power of that moment. As the people proclaimed Jesus as king and said, the Lord has sent you 
You are from the line of David. You will sit on the throne. We will submit to you. Hosanna, God has answered our prayers. Their shouts were shouts of submission to a king who is going to rule over them. But far too quickly, these shouts would dissipate. This is how Mark closes his writing. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. You see, after this amazing moment, this amazing entrance, Jesus made his way to the temple. He went into his father's house, this house of prayer. And he looked around and he saw what was going on. And he saw that the people were abusing the temple and misusing the temple. And very soon we would see this king of peace in the corner of this very temple weaving together a whip to drive out the money changers, to make it a house of prayer once again. And when the crowd would see this, they would be entranced by Jesus. But the leadership, well, they would be infuriated. And they would begin to make plans and plot to kill the self-proclaimed conquering king because this was not the king that they had envisioned. So, what type of king do you envision? What type of king do you want? What type of Jesus do you want? The answer is, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what I want, and it doesn't really matter what you want, because that's not how a monarchy works, which is hard for us to understand as Americans, because we don't live in that space, right? If we have leadership over us, we've elected them, we have put them there, and if they don't do what we want them to do, well, we just get rid of them and we'll put somebody else in their place. But that's not how a king works. You see, you've read through the history, you know how that works. It can be very good or very bad very quickly. A king has total control. Whatever that king says goes for better or for worse. And this is scary to us. This is why our nation is, is founded the way it was because we know that many times that doesn't work out well. But when it comes to Jesus, our conquering king, it always works out well because he is the perfect one. The one who actually submitted himself to suffer on the cross for our sins and to die, to show his love for us, for his people, so he could be our king. And so as we approach this week, as we approach Good Friday, as we celebrate Easter Sunday, may we always remember that to be a follower of Christ means submitting to our king, to following a king who loves us so deeply that to not submit to him would just make us miss out on everything in this life.